Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. You know, we've heard the phrase, what's in a number? And today, two numbers that are very, very important and relevant are the numbers 7 and 29,032. Those numbers are particularly compelling for our guest, Mark Pattison, who's making a return visit to the podcast. As many of you know by now, because this has gotten worldwide media attention, Mark recently became the first pro football player to scale the seven summits. And those are the highest peaks in all seven continents around the world. 29,032, as in feet, is the height of Mount Everest. And that was the seventh and final point of his journey, uh, which Mark did last month. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that because uh, that was quite an adventure spanning years of preparation planning and then accomplishing that feat. But beyond Mark's accomplishments on the mountains, he's made a huge impact in terms of his business and personal and professional life. As I mentioned, he's a former player in the National Football League, went to the University of Washington, my alma mater as well, where he was a star football player there. He's a philanthropist. He's a podcaster. He's a successful entrepreneur. Mark has founded three multi-million dollar businesses, and he's currently an executive at Sports Illustrated. Mark has also dedicated that climb to his daughter, Amelia, who's overcoming her own Everest and defeating epilepsy. And we'll talk a little bit more about Mark's commitment to philanthropy and and what he's doing there to support his daughter as well. Upcoming this fall, the NFL is going to be debuting a documentary about Mark's journey as he experienced it on Mount Everest, and that will be on NFL 360. And then I mentioned he's a podcaster, and I've been listening to his podcast for years, uh, Finding Your Summit, over 120,000 downloads, 200 episodes, and these are powerful conversations with celebrities, sports legends, and others. And it's all about sharing stories of overcoming adversity and finding their way. So with all that as a backdrop and returning to the podcast today, from beautiful Sun Valley, Idaho. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. And you know what? I need to hire you as my new PR guy because that intro is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I will gladly continue to do that, Mark. And, you know, we talked, wow, back in 2019, and, and that was when you were planning to hit that seventh summit. So it's been a while mm-hmm. and a lot's happened during that time. But before we jump into the excitement of the last uh, few months, I think it's important to share the origins of this Seven Summits quest, because we've talked about it before, mm-hmm. goes back over 10 years. But can you share that story? What what really was that inspiration that really got you set on this track to accomplish this? Yeah, it's a great question. And you know, I love answering it because we all go through ups and downs, you know, peaks and valleys. And certainly um, I'm not immune to that, nor is anybody, I think, on the planet. 
you know, if you're around long enough, you're, we're all going to experience some kind of heartache. And, and, uh, 10 years ago, I was going through a rough patch and, and, um, you know, I'd been married for a long time, uh, 24 years and with my now ex for 30. And it just came to a point where that was not happening, uh, anymore. And so I was really broken up about it. And, you know, because I had two daughters and, and, uh, it was just a tough thing. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I spent a whole lot of time really feeling sorry for myself. And this went on for a couple of years because I felt stuck. I didn't know how to get out of it. And I know a lot of people can relate to that. And 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 finally, I, I just got to that kind of breaking point of I was through with that. I didn't want to I didn't want to experience that anymore because I wasn't going forward. I felt like I was treading water. And so I went from this question of how did I get here to what am I going to do about it? And at kind of that point, it kind of gave me a whole new surge of energy. And that's really what I, I needed. And, and, and so I started really thinking about, you know, what is that thing that I could do athletically um, that, that would really uh, pull me out of this spot I was in? Because I need to really change my focus um, because I always believe that where your focus goes, your energy follows. And so that was really true in this case. And so being from Seattle, Washington, growing up, you know, in the very mountainous community, obviously you're up there. Um, and every morning, you know, I could literally see out my window, my Rainier, and and it's such a great mountaineering community just in general. I grew up um, really idolizing the Whitaker brothers of mm -hmm. Ed Vesters, you know, who spent a lot of time up there. He's actually over here now. Um, in Sun Val Valley, there's another guy named Jim Wickwire. So there was a you know a lot of people who were who had cut their teeth in the Cascades and on Mount Rainier, and then had gone on to other big mountains around the world. So um, I, I, I I jumped on the computer and I I typed in Has any NFL player ever climbed the Seven Summits? And the answer was no. Obviously, I couldn't go back and still play in the NFL. Um, uh, and so I said, you know what, I'm going to be that guy, and that is what helped like pull me out of this spot and on my way really ultimately towards not only just amazing adventure, you know, which you, you mentioned, you know, really took over nine, 10 years to complete just because of various things like COVID coming up. Um, uh, but you know, it also gave me that, that new energy and direction and, 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 and the mountains really provided that healing for me to kind of, you know, get, get through it, get past it. And then, all these amazing gifts have come my way. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? How the that intersection of the physical uh, with the mental, right? And then that total well-being and how 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 really focused on the physical side and, and the preparation can really help heal and soothe on the mental wellness as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we mentioned before, obviously, your entrepreneurial successes, multiple companies, your business leader. And I'm curious, the, to prepare for, for what you have done obviously requires commitment, a lot of physical conditioning and, and planning and time allocation and goal setting. H have you seen that directly benefit crossover into your professional life? You know, do the two become kind of sources of some synergy and, and just how does that work? It's a great question. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and there is a, a Absolutely no question. So for, for those who don't know the listening audience, I was very fortunate to play at the University of Washington and what would turn out to be um, a Hall of Fame coach. His name is Don James. 
And he really gave me this blueprint, this formula of success of what it took to be successful. And at the time, I thought it was just athletics, but it turned out to be in all walks of life for me. Um, and that really is that that pyramid of success that he had pulled in from John Wooden. And that's essentially a 25 uh, individual and team building block on what it takes to be a champion in whatever you're trying to do. And so, you know, for us, as it related to uh, the University of Washington football team back in the day, where we went to two uh, Rose Bowls, two Aloha Bowls, and an Orange Bowl, and we're always in the top 10. Um, you know, when we started off, it was getting bigger, it was getting stronger, it was doing well in the classroom. Um, it was it was doing all those things that you need to do, again, as an individual and as a team to, to in our case, back in the day, win the Pac-10, it's now the Pac-12, and go to the Rose Bowl. And and so, you know, if, if you take it a, a notch up and you take it what um, Coach Wooden had had uh, put, you know, for his teams, which won 10 NCAA championships um, uh, back in the day, not just, you know, over time, but, you know, in a row, it's, it's remarkable. Um, and that is the very top rung is called competitive greatness. And so, you know, I've applied these same principles to my business um, which are, you know, what do I personally have to do and what do I have to do as a team to get this company to where it needs to be? And I'll give you a great example of that in just a minute. Um, but competitive greatness, when you break that down, what that really means is that um, you have to love the process in order to get to the top wrong. Because just like this, this recent Everest um, and a bunch of the other climbs I've been on, and just like in business, we all hit roadblocks. Uh, if 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 you're not committed to the progress, uh, process, if you don't have a strong why, you're going to quit because there's just too many things that come up. There's obstacles. Things don't always go your way. You think it's going to go at a certain speed, and it doesn't. And you have to readjust. You have to take a detour to get to that to that final you know summit. Um, I started. Uh, uh, I helped start a company. Uh, this company, uh, Maven which is actually the parent company now of Sports Illustrated, which I spend most of my time at. And, you know, we, we, we had no software. We're a technology company. We had no software. We had nothing. And I was picking up the phone every day and saying, you know, picture this and imagine that. And, um, you know, and, and signing up people just based on the belief. And it was that, you know, step by step, go over, uh -huh. go, you know, just as I made my way up the mountain in terms of business, and ultimately, you know, five years later, we sit and um, we've become a big company, 300 employees now. Um, we've got, uh, I think we're doing about 165 million unique visitors per month. Our website as a collective is, is I think, like the 84th largest um, uh, website now in the United States. So, you know, these things don't have uh, happen overnight. And there were multiple times when the doors were going to shut. And it was just like a last minute Hail Mary, but we didn't give up. And we tried to be creative. We tried to think outside the box, but we loved the process. We did not want to stop that machine from going and just quit and go home. And same thing just happened to me on, on Mount Everest. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really relate to that. And you're a motivational speaker along with everything else that you do. You've helped coach up others in successful organizations. Now you mentioned coach James, but who else have you relied on for your own personal inspiration to help you get to where you've gotten? 
I tell you what, um, I, I've, 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 I realized this many years ago, um, and this is kind of as I was emerging into college, and that is that success leaves clues. And so when you're when you're asking that question, you know, and I and I and I look around the block, and you know, you had mentioned many of these things I'm in from. You know, I fundraise a lot and I, um, I do podcast and I'm a mountain climber and, and business and things like that. And I've got, I've got to know and know so many people, um, that are out there that have done pretty amazing stuff, uh, that I, I don't just have one person. I find people that have had success and it, it's a little bit like a franchise, you know, McDonald's franchise in a sense and that, they figured out a way to stamp and repeat. And so that's there, there's the value in the franchise in terms of um, all that knowledge and power on how to be successful. I'm using a bad example here, but it's that same rhythm. So so in mountain climbing, for example, I've gotten to know Ed Veasters, right? He's the world's, yeah. America's probably most famous um, climber um, around the world. He's done all these these eight meter peaks, um, mainly in Nepal with no oxygen. I mean, just amazing. And so... I've gotten to know Ed. I've sat down with Ed. I've had coffee with Ed. I've climbed with Ed. And you know what? What are the what are the things that he does to make him him successful in sports? Back in the day, it was you know pairing up myself with with other, in my case, wide receivers and guys who had come before me who were successful. There's there's something that they were doing that was different. It's coaches that that you know I allowed to you know let them teach me the the roadmap where to go how to do it and business i mean i've aligned myself with a lot of pretty successful people a lot of people up there in seattle um that have had amazing companies and like really trying to figure out what has been their path to success yeah yeah well just that breadth and you know i actually had ed as a keynote speaker at an event several years ago and he came and and really captivated the audience so you're you're right he is uh, he is very inspirational and i'd like to shift gears now and and focus in on this huge ascent of everest mm-hmm. and you know as business leaders i'm i'm sure you can relate to this too and i've been involved uh, and i'll use the example of product launches new product development product launches you go through this meticulous planning uh, process uh, could be long range planning over months, maybe even a year, 18 months out in advance. And sometimes things just don't go as planned and schedules need to change. And in your case, you originally scheduled that seventh summit that Everest climb back in 2020, but obviously the world changed. Uh, and with COVID-19 restrictions and everything that just kind of blew up, in spring of 2020, those plan- the plans had to change, and it was a, a year delay. And I'm curious, just from a mental standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, what was it like after all that preparation training? You were ready to go. You were ready to do it. And now you've got this unplanned change. You've got to wait another year. How did you handle that? Well, I think one of the things that we all experience, doesn't matter who you are, whether you're an athlete or a mountain climber or you're in business or in a relationship or anything like that. It's all about, we all capture momentum and then momentum, you know, sometimes stops. And the question is, how do you recapture that and keep it going? Right. And I had left some Valley with all my bags packed in a car driving out to uh, Southern California to see my daughters um, in early March 
of 2020. And as if we recall, if we go, if we take our minds and go back there, it was it was a unique period in time in that every single day, exponentially, things got worse, right? And, and since I was in LA, uh, you know, they've got about 15 news stations and that thing was running, you know, literally on the hour, around the clock. And, and one by one, businesses were shutting down, people were dying, um, hospitals were, were filling up. And we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know how to stop it. It was going cross borders into other nations. Um, and everybody was flipping, freaking out. And about the 25th of March, and again, I continued to train. I was running on the beach. I was doing a bunch of stuff, continued to train. And I'd got the word, you know, probably in the third week of, of March that uh, Everest was still going to be open. Nepal, everything was good. And, you know, the trip was on. And, um, and like three days after that announcement from my mountain guide, uh, Garrett Madison, uh, it was announced that basically the entire world was shutting down, including Everest and Nepal. And so I was definitely, you know, really let down and bombed, um, for about 48 hours. And then just kind of my personality, um, I, I see everything as, as the, the cup, the jar, whatever you want to say, is half full. And I said, you know what, I'm going to turn this thing into an opportunity. And the opportunity for me was, how can I get bigger, stronger, faster? How can I get more mentally prepared? And so I reset all my goals in terms of what I had done before. I live in some valleys, as you just mentioned, and that means I live at 6,000 feet. And uh, during this last winter, for example, um, there's something called skinning, which is putting this uh-huh. sandpaper type material on the bottom of your skis and going up the mountain without sliding back backwards on your skis. And then you rip those things off and then you ski down the mountain. And usually I would do that at night and it's cold and it's snowy and it's all these things. But, you know, the year before, I think I'd done it in 2020, I'd done it maybe 31 times. Um, uh-huh. And this last year I did it 45 times. And so wow. it's that. And then I, I built a home gym, you know, a Peloton and all this stuff in my garage and so, you know, I ramped up. And so I, was, I did literally two a day workouts for essentially the next year, you know, all ramping up, trying to prepare. And when I got on the mountain on Mount Everest, you know, especially on that final summit day, I ran into all kinds of problems and I had to tap in to all those things, you know, all that extra effort, all that renewed vigor and momentum that I had to recapture when the uh, COVID, you know, Retavit on the entire planet, and that expedition got got canceled in 2020. So, uh, what I've learned over all these things, and like summing this up, and just you know, the, these this one phrase is, it's really interesting at that there are so many things so often that hit us that seem like a disaster, and how could this happen to me like it did 10 years ago, and then certainly with COVID, and almost in every single one of these cases, there's been a blessing at the end, but it's taken time to realize that blessing. Yeah, sometimes at the moment uh, that the unexpected happens, and I guess at at the trough, sometimes it's hard to see through that actually in the end it's going to make you stronger. And that's that's a great example, Mark, that you, you shared where you actually came out of it probably more physically prepared, more mentally, and and just ready in twenty twenty one than maybe you would have been in twenty twenty. For sure, there's no question. Yeah, yeah. So so you you go through the reset. Uh, you get bigger, faster, stronger, prepared. 2021 comes, you head over 
to Everest Base Camp, which I believe is at about 18,000 feet, which is much higher 17. than Mount Rainier. <laughs> yeah, 17.5. Yeah, 17.5. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll round up there. And then uh, the real work begins before you even think about doing the ascent. It's weeks and weeks of acclimating to the altitude. I'm curious, what was that experience like, those weeks of just the prep when you're over there building up to the big day? And then I'm sure there's team dynamics, right? Because you're not going up by yourself. You're doing this, uh, these activities and then getting ready to go up as a team. What were those dynamics like in the Everest Base Camp? So great questions. Uh, so your first question is, I, I think answering about the, you know, acclimating at base camp. So essentially for the listener, and I think a lot of people don't really understand this because I've said this now a few times to others. And they've been blown away. They didn't quite understand what this all meant. But I was I was in Nepal um, for about seventy days, and I would say just just first and foremost, uh, we you are at extreme conditions for that you know over two months. It is a game of endurance. And to that point, we started off with nineteen climbers, and within the first forty five days or so of that. Uh, we had eight of those of those nineteen quit um, wow. for various reasons. You know they were dropping like flies there for a while, and 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 the first uh, uh, two weeks, um, you know we land in Kathmandu and then we make our way and fly into this place called Lukla, world's most dangerous airport. It sits on a cliff, and you land, and that that the runway is only about. I don't know, two or 300 yards long and actually oh. it goes up a hill. And so of course, when you fly uh, off again, you're doing the opposite and you start uphill, you rev up the engine, you fly off a cliff. So it's pretty hair raising to say the least. So just anyways, I survived that. And so now you're at 7,500 feet and for the next really 12 to 14 days, we're climbing, uh, really not climbing, but trekking 40 miles up the Kumba Valley and when you finally hit uh, Everest Base Camp, think of it like a cul-de-sac, right? like you go up this mm-hmm. road, but there's no, you can't get out the other side because it's blocked by Everest and Lhotse and another mountain called uh-huh. Nupsi. And so, um, so anyways, uh, during that period of time, uh, leading into your second question, we get into, uh, um, you're getting to know your different teammates and, and, I would say for the most part, and we also had another 10 trekkers, just, you know, their plan was just to go up to Everspace Camp and then fly out. And uh, I would say for the most part, you know, we had a really great group. I think Garrett Madison from Madison Mountaineering, who organized and really um, um, filtered who could come and who who couldn't uh, on this on this team, did a great job of, of bringing in the right kind of personalities. Um and so, and so now you you get to Everest Base Camp, and now you're you're you know every single night, uh, you're you're sleeping in sub zero temperatures. You're on, you know, sleeping on rocks or ice, and and now through this interval, you're 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 spending really kind of the next, I don't know, month and a half or so, uh, going up and down and up and down, and now he's going a little bit higher. And the one thing that's terrifying about that is uh, right uh, out of Everest Base Camp, you kicks into the Kumba um, uh, icefall. 
And if you can imagine going straight up 2,000 feet with 30-foot-plus ice walls that are constantly collapsing, um, every time I went through it, I went through it five different times. Every single time I went through it, um, I went through a different route. You're going deep down into crevasses and climbing over ice walls mm-hmm. and then, of course, having to repel back down those things. But every time we went through those, uh, you know, it was always three, four o'clock in the morning, and then we'd emerge out of there uh, maybe six or seven uh, in the morning after you know climbing all through the, the morning with headlamps, and it, it, in, and it's a it's a moving glacier. So um, as it warms up during the day, those ice towers uh, and walls are collapsing, and that's why we were constantly having to go. So it's literally Russian roulette as you go through. Um, and it's spooky and it's hairy. And uh, I actually fell off a ladder backwards uh, about 12 feet. And if I hadn't been clipped in to a fixed line, which was attached to this ladder, I would have kept going down into these other um, crevasses, which would have been fatal. And so I I was bruised up and I was cut and I was bleeding and everything else and and shaking a little bit, but um, I survived that. And it just really taught me the lesson. This is the first time I went through it. And it really taught me the lesson, like, Mark, you really got to, like, you, you can't take a break here. You need to keep your full attention all the time. Yeah, the mental focus uh, is so critical as you as you were describing that. And so you get through all of that preparation. And the uh, you mentioned the Russian roulette, the gauntlet of the ice falls. And you get ready to go. Summit day arrives. And I believe, uh, Mark, correct me here, but I think it was May 23rd. Local mm-hmm. time, is that correct? Yeah. yeah. All right. So that day arrives. Mm-hmm. Take us through that day because I think it would be an understatement to say things didn't go exactly as you planned. Yeah. Well, I think um, for the listener, again, I mean, setting up, you, you know, like you know, Mount Sai um, or any mountain that you've, you go, you know, a lot of times you just say, hey, I'm going to go climb. And so you show up and you climb it. And this is set up completely different. Um, when you're thinking about the top, um, you know, you, you really got to start looking about six days before that comes up. So that takes a lot of weather forecasting and there's some services that they use. Um, and as we're looking at the weather patterns and everything else. And, and so we actually started, you know, we were looking at, at leaving around the 15th of May, um, projecting that the 22nd or 23rd, there could be a crease. And, and kind of the first thing, well, there's multiple things that, that, made all this, you know, kind of took it to a different level this year. Um, number one, of course, was COVID. And so that wreaked havoc. That had nothing to do with the weather. But, you know, a lot of people were being knocked off the mountain. So that just meant essentially that there were less crowds that were going up there because so many people were being flown off the mountain and expeditions were being canceled. So that was number one. Number two, and which did affect the weather, we had two cyclones that hit Nepal. And so um, this just brought high winds, bad weather, huge snow fall that came down, which prevented again from us to go up, um, up the mountain. And then the third thing was uh, the jet stream, which normally sits on the, on top of, of Everest uh, year round, except for a week or two in the spring and a week or two in the fall kept like bouncing on and off. And so we were trying to project like, when we could actually get through and so there wasn't just like a big, you know, high pressure system of blue sky for a week. This was like bad weather and we were mm-hmm. going to go up into it and just hope like hell that we we're going to get an opening. 
And so off we went. And this is again, the 15th of May. And, and uh, when we got up to camp three, which is pretty much terrifying too, because you're, you're sleeping in tents on a 45 degree slope. Um, and that, and, and, you know, that slope goes thousands of feet down. And so um, we, I think we were, we ended up in locked in our tents for a couple of days. You know, you can't get out. You're just literally laying in your tent, hoping that this thing stops wow. with 50 mile per hour winds and heavy snow, um, laying on the side of this, this, you know, 45 degree slope. And, um, and, and, and so we, and again, fingers crossed that we're going to make it to the top. Meanwhile, you know, as you're, and this is the uh, kind of the main thing that really affected me is that the food that they've they've given you are these freeze dry packets, and to me it tastes like sawdust. And you know you pour hot water in there and mix it up, and they they disguise it as lasagna or spaghetti or something like that. But it's just not very good, and my system didn't react too well to it. So I didn't have a whole lot of cal- calories during that time. So, anyways, we finally make our way up to Camp Four, which is like being on Mars. Um, and uh, we hit that camp about uh, 6 p.m. on the 22nd. And the idea was to get up um, around 11.30, 11.45 with the intent of leaving now that it would be the 23rd. Um, you know, obviously it's early in the morning, um, around 12.30. And so when all that happened, there was kind of a mad rush. They forgot to wake us up. And as we get out of our tents, um, finally, as we're like trying to scramble and get and go, um, there was, there was a 45 mile per hour wind with all these snow pellets that were kind of going left to right. And it just like beat my face up. And it was really odd too, because I ended up with a huge scab. It looked like I had a, a, uh, a sunburn, um, from the scab, but it really hurt. Uh, and then, uh, I got snow blind in my left eye. My retina had been, uh, uh, scarred from these snow pellets. And so I couldn't see. And so off we go and we go up the mountain and I just had no energy from, from the get go. And that was, you know, like all the other climbs I had pretty much was right on be at the front. And this one, I just had such a hard time getting up that mountain. And, um, and where, where the snow blindness really kicked in, in terms of being a challenge is more towards the, the, the top third of the mountain where you get into the Hillary step. And, uh, and on that mountain, there were fixed lines and, 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 uh, that's different from all the other mountains I had pretty much been on where you're more tethered to a person, you're tethered now to the mountain and that mountain, when there's, when you have these fixed lines, there are 50 to hundred yard intervals anchored on either side by these ice screws. And so the whole idea is as you're wearing a, a harness around your belt, which there's a about a three foot cord and on the end of that cord, there's a carabiner. And so you're, you're bending over and you're clipping into that rope. Um, I couldn't, I was having a really difficult time with the depth perception of trying to reach down and clip in. And at the same time, my Sherpa uh, could not uh, understand English. And so he didn't know what I was talking about. And, and the complication on top of that is that there's about five other ropes that are still on there from past expeditions and all those ropes are frayed. So trying to get the right rope so that, you know, it doesn't yeah. come loose and you fall down the mountain. And at the same time, you're looking straight down 10,000 feet straight down at Tibet. And so the whole thing was not only terrifying, but, you know, I had this negative energy going towards something that I didn't need to go while I, I really hadn't eaten. I mean, I was exposed 
18 hours up there. Um, the the entire time I took off at 1230, I got back to camp at, at five and I was only surviving on, on really little hard candies. And that's a hard thing to do on that mountain. Yeah. 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 But, but through that all, so you had 50% of vision. Uh, you've got the Sherpa there, not really understanding what you're saying. And yet, and yet you did accomplish the feat. And so I guess knowing that you weren't alone, but also probably just drawing deep within yourself from the years of prep leading up to that moment, that, that must have made a difference. You know, we, we get back to the original question that you ask about, you know, is there a blueprint? Is there a process? Can you, or do these things have crossover? And I have been, and, and by the way, before I, I, I go into that, um, you know, coming down the mountain, I ran out of oxygen in my Sher- Sherpa had been 200 yards before down below me. And so, you know, I probably spent another 45 minutes trying to get him to stop from going down because he was in such wow. a hurry to get to the bottom um, that that uh, I finally had this Russian guy come behind me. And and so that was just a, yet another thing I had to deal with and contend. Um, but, but you know, if you don't have a, a, a strong why, and in my case, um, I, I was tapping into, number one, my daughter, Amelia, mm-hmm. and she's, you know, has, has, has dealt with these daily seizures since she was eight. She's 22 now. And I just literally, I was like, I can't quit. I can't quit. She would never quit. I was playing all these mind games. Um, the, the, obviously I was going down the mountain, but at that point now it, it doesn't turn from, can I make the summit? It's like, I'm not going to die today, right? Today, Mark doesn't die. Mark doesn't die because I got to get back to my daughter. And then I also felt the support and love from these hundreds of people that were following me on, on mainly Instagram and, you know, saying, Hey, you got this. And it kind of felt like a Rocky story, but I, I just like, I can't, I can't quit for all the people that they've gone through whatever they've gone through and they're rooting me on. And I got to, I got to stay with this and I got to get down. I got to make this happen. And again, same thing in business, you know, when, with this company, I mentioned that we're now the parent company to sports illustrated in the street and many others, you know, we are near death multiple times. And it's just like, what do we need to do to keep going? And what's the why? Why do you need to keep this thing going? You know, and that's what really helped propel me on Mount Everest to surviving all those different obstacles that I was going through. And so now with the benefit of being able to look back on it all, is there a favorite moment? I know you were, you're mentioning a lot of the scary and and personal challenges, Mm -hmm. but is there a favorite moment uh, upon reflection and is there a key takeaway that you see applying to your professional and personal life going forward? I think, you know, the, the there, there's a bunch of things in there. Um, and so I'll try to be brief here, but I think if like, like as I was going down, cause you know, the, the, the goal, I didn't make my goal. My goal was to climb Mount Everest, which I did then come down, jump in my tent, and then go up and climb Lhotse, the fourth highest mountain in the world, um, and and then do that. And as I was coming down, you know, one of the things I really had to do was I was reflecting on all, all these things were going through my mind. And as I reflected back, it's just like I really had to go back to my original goal, which is my goal was to climb the seven summits. And, and you know, I had just done that. And really, Lhotse was just going to be a throw-in. Mm-hmm. And, and so I had to put my, my ego aside, but as I went 
as I went back and reflected um, on on going into it ten years ago, you know, the the first takeaway was I, I you know, stepping into the fear for sure. I mean, not only is mountain climbing dangerous, but I really didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I'd done a lot of local mountains, but I'd never done anything that hardcore. And so stepping into the fear and then, and then understanding that action creates reaction. So all these things I did, it helped me get into podcasting. It helped me get into philanthropy. It helped me, you know, meet all these other people. It helped me learn the craft of mountaineering um, and showing me what I could do. It helped me move from Southern California to Sun Valley on kind of a, a leap. Um, and so all these things have happened because I stepped into the fear and then I actually fall through on it with a commitment to the end, um, despite being turned back in 2017 on Denali, despite having COVID get in the way in 2020 and constantly having these obstacles and these detours, you know, take me, you know, around that I had to figure out and then come back. And so, and so, you know, as I, as I, you know, I'm sitting here today and I look back, I would say the the thing also that has been the most enjoyable is I really can't remember any one of these summits. Uh, what I can tell you is about the trip. I can tell you about the people I met. I can tell you about these different countries that I, that I landed in these different continents. And it's and, and so it's really soaking up that process. Right, right. It makes a lot of sense. And we talked a little bit about this before, beyond your business leadership and all the climbing that you've done, you really have a passion for philanthropy and, mm -hmm. and just various causes. Can you talk a little bit more about what fuels that passion? Um, well, I, 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 again, it was this, this whole journey, this last really 10 year journey has been interesting because I, 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 it started off for me where I need to be healed and the mountains did that for me. Um, and then once I kind of got my head clear and I was on my feet and, you know, on my way, then some cool things started to happen. Um, I was originally invited on the first, um, class for Chris Long, Howie Long's son, who played 10 years in the NFL and started an organization called Water Boys. And Water Boys is helping uh, the people in East Africa, mainly Tanzania, um, to build water, water wells with inside their villages, their communities, because typically they have to have these girls walk down five miles with these big buckets on their head to fill up water. And a lot of bad things happen to them. Not only is there dirty water, but they get attacked by animals, lions and things like that and get raped and, and so um, his, his mission has been to build these water wells. And so that really was the first opportunity where I understood, this is probably four years ago now, I understood about this whole give back thing. And so um, about two years ago, uh, my daughter was going, her, her epilepsy had kind of advanced to a whole new level. And now she was starting to have grand malls and all this stuff. And she was at the University of Arizona and so I just got on a, a plane, a one-way ticket, and I just went down to Tucson and camped out there. And while I was there, helping her, going to her different teachers, and, you know, we're trying to navigate school and all this stuff. And I thought to myself, you know, it's great that I've been helping out water boys, but I need to be helping out my daughter. Mm -hmm. And yeah. she's the one who needs my help. And so I partner with an organization called Higher Ground. They're here in, in Sun Valley, Idaho, also L.A. and New York. And they, they mainly help the military people. Um, with their cognitive and adaptive um, issues that they've had, you know, coming back from, from war and torn up. And, 
And, and so um, we've raised now around 100 grand um, on this last campaign that we did. The, the, the Raiders threw in some money and the, the, uh, the NFL through their social grant um, also have participated. And, and the thing that's been really cool, and this is, this is the whole thing about empowerment, and that is, is that, and I, and I can't tell you, there's no scientific thing I'm about to tell you, but I'm just going to tell you the way it is. And that is because, you know, I, I, I stepped into the fear because I've now taken on this campaign to help my daughter because she's been in a lot of these different press releases that have gone out, these articles that people have written on me. I've been able to kind of reshine that light onto her and epilepsy and that cause. And I think that's helped not only a lot of other people, but as it relates to my daughter, I think she's become empowered and she's now standing a little taller and she, I really feel like she's got wings um, now. And for the first time since she was eight, she's 22 now, um, for the first time since she was eight years old, she has not had a seizure in five months. And I really believe that's because of, you know, the way they've, they've kind of crowned her as being the spokesperson of epilepsy for this cause and that has really given her, you know, great strength and, and like I said, standing tall. So it's, you know, fingers are crossed. We'll see how things go, you know, as we, as we talk about going forward. But it's amazing. And, you know, if she continues on this path, she can then get her driver's license and ride a bike and be on the monkey bars and things she has never been able to do. It's amazing, you know, as a parent, you know, can really relate, you know, when you've got uh, children that are overcoming their own challenges, what... What is more special than what you've been able to do to really give her those wings and to uh, give her that strength, Mark? So thank you for sharing that. And an obvious question now with the Everest climb in the mm-hmm. rearview mirror. Yeah. So you've accomplished that original goal, the Seventh Summit. So we're all waiting to hear what's next. Well, you know, I'm kind of thinking about jumping on Bezos' uh, rocket. <laughs> he's going to Mars or wherever he's going and see. <laughs> See if I, you know, like I'm trying to think what tops this, but, you know, look, I, I, I know one thing is that I, I don't have a desire to suffer anymore. And so I have an, uh, a desire to, to experience more adventure, to challenge myself physically, mentally, spiritually. Uh, but in terms of going away for 70 plus days and, and, and going through the pain and the heartache and, you know, the starvation, I dropped 25 pounds. I looked awful. I'm still trying to fight back from that, um, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with all the cold and everything else. It's just not something that I want to, I want to do. So, you know, really trying to take a, a right hand turn. I've got some really cool things, um, that are in the works, um, which I'll be revealing at a later time. But one of those that, that you had mentioned at the top of the, of the, of the episode here is the NFL is doing a film documentary, um, on this whole journey and a number of people, uh, Ed Veaster's, Jim Mora, Hugh Millen, my daughters um, are, are in the film. And we're going to be debuting that here um, as a premiere in Sun Valley uh, mid-September. We're excited about that. But the cool thing about, about all this is that we're turning this into a big event. And um, again, I'm partnering with Higher Ground and we're going to raise money. And it's, again, it's an opportunity where I can help others raise money um, and while at the same time, you know, inviting a lot of people to come in and see how this whole journey went down and, and how epic it was. Yeah. Best of both worlds. Can't wait to see that documentary coming out. So as we wind up our conversation, Mark, do you have any final advice 
based on all of the experiences you've had that you'd want to share with business leaders that are trying to set and achieve their own summit, their own goals that at first might seem daunting to them? Do you have any advice? Well, look, you got to take, you know, I think the, 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 the biggest thing where I see people um, not fulfill their dreams is because they never take that first step. And they talk about things, they think about things, and then for whatever reasons, they talk themselves out of doing those things and they don't go forward. So certainly, you know, taking that first step is a huge key. And I, and I said before, and I said this earlier, that action creates reaction. And so, uh, you know, it may be the wrong move, but at least you'll know that's the wrong move. So you can take the right move, you know, next time. Um, that's, that's just a big one, you know, to me. Um, I think also the power of curiosity goes a long way. And, you know, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm, I'm in, in, in the internet business, technology business is because I self-taught, I spent hundreds of hours teaching myself, you know, how things work on the internet and everything else. And, you know, like my social audience right now is over 450,000. And I learned how to podcast because I talk to people and I learn from others who are doing it and are better at me at all this stuff. And, 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 you know, really tapping into those mentors and trying to find somebody that can, that can push you and get you there, you know, coaches, if that's what you want to call them. But that has been a huge key for, for my um, development, because if you're not growing, you're dying. And there's only one direction for me to go and that's up. Well, I will tell you this, Mark, uh, in terms of my own journey as a podcaster, you were an inspiration because I started listening to your Finding Your Summit. I was working out, and that actually was a, a real motivation for me to actually venture into this uh, wonderful world of podcasting. So I want to thank you for that. And I also want to thank you again for sharing more about your journey. Congratulations on a huge achievement with the seven summits. And when you can say you're the only person in the world representing, you know, who you are to be able to accomplish that, uh, that is a source of pride and it's just amazing. And then how you've been able to give back to others is really special. So thank you again for sharing that. Well, thank you. And, and, uh, like, let me give some kudos to you really quick. Um, cause it's important and, you know, relevant to what the question you just asked me about learning and growing and everything else. Um, and I know we did a podcast a couple of years ago and it's really amazing. You've become a really good podcaster and you're a fantastic listener. And that like anything is the key is just, you know, the more you listen, the more you're going to take in and, and you're able to ask great questions and engage with people and learn. Thanks. And, you know, I am going to venture over to Sun Valley. So if you promise to help guide me up the mountains, you just have to have a lot of patience because I don't think I'm going to be able to keep up with you, but I'm looking forward to connecting and making over to that beautiful part of the country. That sounds great. That sounds great. Love to take you up. Thanks a lot, Mark. And a reminder to everyone to please make sure to rate and review. Your feedback is really important on how we continue to make this podcast better. You can easily go out to all of the streaming services and do that, such as Apple Podcast. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.